Hey, welcome to the Uncomfortable Is Okay podcast. This is the show where we make it easier to do the hard stuff. I'm your host, Chris Desmond, and this week got a special guest for you by the name of Esty Rand. Esty hosts the Business Breakthrough podcast that I was a guest on a few oh, a few weeks ago now. She runs a company called Strand Consulting and yeah, does a whole lot of interesting stuff. So she's a serial entrepreneur. She started her first business when she was about 10. I ran out of fingers and toes to count the number of businesses that she's started up and she's run. But the interesting thing about Esty as well is that even though she's run all these businesses, she's a reasonably risk averse person. So it's really interesting conversation around discomfort and risk, how to mitigate it and also how to take it as well in a sensible way. Some of the other stuff that we talk about here is having a dream attacked by someone in a position of power and how Esty worked through that. Having a look at how people view the world and, and the way that we are told stories by society about what we should be doing and how we should be running things. Whereas actually, if we open our eyes and, and have a slightly broader look, there are many, many more options. So there's a couple of big topics that we cover there today. Esty is great fun to have a chat to, lots of humor in this one. So I think that you will enjoy it. Before we kick things off, this week's episode is brought to you by the Surmount Workshop. Now the Surmount Workshop is for people in Wellington. It's happening in Wellington on the 26th of January for people who are stuck at the moment. You're stuck in your comfort zone, whether that's you haven't followed through on any of your New Year's resolutions for the last couple of years, or you're just drifting along. You know something needs to happen, but you don't know what it is or you're struggling to get over the hump. To find out a little bit more about it, head over to surmountcourse.com. That's S-U-R-M-O-U-N-T course.com. There's some tickets we're going to run through in the workshop. Tickets are still available now. Jump on. I would love to see you there. But without further ado, let's get into the podcast. Thanks so much for getting uncomfortable with Esty and I today. Esty Rand, welcome to the Uncomfortable is Okay podcast. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. I'm so excited to be here. Awesome. I'm very excited to have you as well, actually. And I'd like to just kick things off with a little bit of background about who you are. Sort of, where were you born? Where did you grow up? Was there anything in your, in your younger years that has set you off on this path? Definitely. I think we all are built layers upon where we started. I'm from Brooklyn, New York, originally. Now I'm living in Los Angeles, California. I spent the first 23 years of my life in New York. I paid all my dues. I do not have to go back ever again. <laughs> I consider myself fully paid up. Now, New York's a great place. So I grew up, I would say, you could call it middle class, um, in a home where money was air. And that meant that there was never enough of it, no matter how much there was. And I've been running businesses since I was 10 years old because money's air, so I need it and I need my own because no one's giving it to me because they need it because it's their air too. And so not the healthiest environment, not the most warm and loving kind of space. You can imagine that. And uh, as a kid, 
I ran a successful bracelet business when I was 10 in elementary school. I had a fully professional setup. I had, and no one taught me this. On a number of interviews, people have asked me like, who taught it to you? I don't know. I just did. I just did. I wanted money. I got money. I have no other way to explain it. In my kid head, it was like, I have bracelets. You will buy them from other people on the street or in stores. So why would you not pay me? And I've always been that way. Like if this is worth money, so I should get the money too. I had order forms. I had a whole little advertising display that I put together and a local craft store. Let me put it up in their store to advertise my little business. So uh, that was really fun as a kid. High school, I ran businesses also. And then I had a very interesting professional journey where I always had a side business, but never saw it as a full-time business. It was always a side thing. And I have had side businesses ranging in everything from medical billing to haircutting, craft and handiwork to database billing, like really a very wide range. Mm. Um, fitness training, like really, really a wide range of industries that I've operated in. And I ended up working as a CIO for a multinational nonprofit. That was my job. And while I was there, did a lot of very cool things. After I was there for about six and a half years, as many people who work in nonprofit know, it's not actually run by the people who run it. It's run by the donors and the boards who fund it. And they wanted a new guy in. So they brought him in. He and I didn't get along super well. So he kind of decided I was his new secretary. He took my team. He took my trip to Argentina. He demoted me without demoting me in title, but I wasn't able to do my work. He took my team. He took all the things I was meant to do and was basically like, okay, so you'll be my assistant. I'm like, no, 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 no. I'm the new leaving person, actually. Bye. <laughs> it was nice meeting you. And it wasn't so simple. It was a work environment that became more and more toxic over a period of months because this guy was like a bull in a china shop. You know, nonprofits and small businesses the same are run on skeleton budgets and skeleton staffs. And so we had everything you know, we were a team of, I think, five at a high level with like, you know, another team. Like I was running another team of three and we had it very fine tuned to get this thing operational with so few people. We were running eight figure budgets. Like this was a very large organization, multinational, like, I don't know, 20 countries. I don't remember. It was, it was big. We were running it very, very, very tightly. And he comes in and he just starts knocking things around. What's this? Breaks in. What's that? Don't do it like that. Do it like this. No, no, you don't understand. It's done like that because we spent like eight months designing that. That's why I thought, no, I don't think you need that. Bam. And it was a nightmare. And I am not the personality to sit by and take that. You know, a lot of the other staff were upset about it, but like, okay, he's the boss. And I'm like, no, I don't care if he's the boss. He's ruining it. And I told him so. Hence, we didn't get along so well. <laughs> so <laughs> it all came to a head one night. I was, I had three little kids at the time. I had a five-year-old, a three-year-old, and a one-year-old. And kid time was always sacred for me, but the most sacred is bedtime prayer time, right? And so all my years, this is still even before smartphones, we're going back to like 2011. All my years, that time, there's no phone. I would never answer it, but it's not even usually near me. You know, that is sacred time with my children. Mm. I don't believe that there's any amount of money or any job worth sacrificing family. I've seen it too many times where you have to trade one for the other and I just don't believe in it. And so I'm sitting with my kids, it's bedtime prayer time and my phone rings because 
<laughs> new guy broke something again and another coworker's calling and and we're this was a constant in those months constant constant calls back and forth during work after work and i answered my phone during bedtime prayers and my husband came in he saw me on the phone he saw the kids like in the middle like just being confused and me going oh my gosh he did this okay okay guys so we have to you know when we're all and he's just like i see hang up i'm like what what he's like hang up he's like you're quitting tonight what do you mean? Like, this is our income. Like, this is our, our, I was the primary breadwinner at the time. My husband was still studying. I'm like, money? <laughs> like, I thought of the fact that I kind of really, really loved my job until this guy came along. Then I only kind of liked my job. And I, I was hoping to get him out before I would have to get out. Like, my, my goal was to remove him, not me. Hence, again, why we didn't get along so well. <laughs> A couple of reasons. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. He said, this is not who you are. Forget me. This is not who you are, who you want to be. And he was right. And I quit that night. I sent in an email with my resignation that night. And that was the beginning of my, my journey that I'm still on today, where I run my full service consulting firm for small businesses, which was my dream at the time. Pretty crazy dream in 2011. There was no consulting for small businesses in 2011. Like everybody take a trip down memory lane. Yeah beginning of the small business boom. If you were running a small business, you either had it or you didn't. If you had it, you were good and you got really big and then you could hire help. Or if you didn't have it, you busted and then go back and get a job like you deserve. And uh, I came out there and I'm watching all these local people trying to live their dream. They're trying to sell on Etsy. They're trying to be a massage therapist. They're trying to be life coach. They're trying to sell cupcakes. I don't know what they're doing. They're all doing something. Right? And I'm watching them like, you're, all, you're just doing it wrong, guys. You can sense a theme here. Mm. <laughs> I like to fix problems. I always have. And uh, I knew I could help them. I've been running businesses since I'm a kid. I have a degree in marketing. I've been working on that nonprofit for, you know, six and a half years, running really high level business on a very small budget, which is small business skills. And I knew I could help. I would see these ads in the local weeklies that were a total waste of time and space and money. I would hear people talking next to me at cafes like, oh, I think I'm going to sell cupcakes. Maybe I'm going to do like $10 a box. Maybe I'll like tell my friends about it. I'm like, ah, stop it. <laughs> Can we like make this a real actual thing? Like, what are you doing? And that was my dream. I now have it. Mm, awesome. And Esti, like when you transitioned out of the nonprofit, were you doing this as a side project at the time? I had been. I had already started two years previous, actually. I, I'd always loved helping people. That's how I ended up in nonprofit to begin with. And I took a coaching course. Uh, now we're going back to 2008. I got became a certified coach. I don't talk about it much because there are so many people out there that gave coaching a bad name. Sorry, guys. But so many people put up their shingle. They call themselves coach and they have no competency whatsoever. So I don't like to advertise that I'm a coach, but I'm a pretty good one. They blend it into everything else we do. And so I had already begun coaching on the side, never advertised. I just got referrals. People who knew that I had taken the course just started sending me. I had been coaching on the side and the company that I had been working for, this, this multinational nonprofit, they had hired a consulting firm. Also, around the same time, like a year or two previous, those guys came in, told my higher ups everything that I had been saying for years, got paid more and got listened to better. I'm like, I'm in the wrong line of work. So that was the seeds for it. And that was 
I think in my memory, it was all around the same time. The consulting, that coaching course got offered. I'm like, oh, that looks cool. I don't have to be a therapist and listen to people's problems all day because I absorb them. I can't handle it. I carry everybody's problems with me. Um, but I'm like, a coach is where I don't absorb their problems. I just focus on their successes. I like this so much better. And so I was certified then. I was doing it on the side. And then even when I left, I am so risk averse. I was not willing to take this on as a full-time thing. It didn't even help. I had severance and unemployment. We had more money in those six months. We bought a car then, like a really nice one, <laughs> because those six months were, were very nice income, even better than the previous, because we had literally like a double income for those months because the two are not mutually exclusive, which was so mm. nice. But it was a six-month window. <laughs> with a like very defined end date, like a get or job or this money's done kind of end date. And so I wanted to live this dream. I was looking for other jobs. I actually got interviewed by a headhunter who was a former McKinsey consultant. And at some point during the interview, and she was, okay, maybe this job, that job. And she sent me on some nice, some nice interviews. She said to me, Essie, what's the dream though? Like, okay, I'm interviewing for these positions, C-level positions in different organizations, companies. What's your real dream? Is this what you really want to do? And I said, you know, listen, she's a McKinsey consultant. My dream is to do a consulting. I'm going to confide in her, right? She seems genuine. So I say, listen, my dream is small business consulting. Like, I really see this as a new trend. It's growing bigger and bigger. The technology's hit a tipping point where smartphones are starting to tip and, you know, multinational access and, and global tribes. And I just, I think that, I can make such an impact here. And she looked at me and she said, no one will take you seriously. No one will hire you. You need at least another 20 years corporate level experience before anyone would ever pay you money for your advice. She was wrong, actually. How did that make you feel? Oh, I was devastated. I was shredded. I came home in tears. I held it together there. I'm pretty good like that. Um, and we completed the interview and, you know, it went so well that she actually sent me out on job interviews. You know, my pipe dream of consulting was foolish, but I was still a very good C-level prospect. So it wasn't that she doubted my ability or intelligence, mm. just my dream. And uh, I was completely devastated. I still remember where I was standing at the window in my kid's room. Why I was there, I don't know, but I pictured it in my head. It was sunny, it was the middle of the afternoon, and I'm standing by the window and tears just pouring down my face that someone who had the credibility and legitimacy shredded my dream. So this was a very legitimate shred. <laughs> this is a consultant who's a successful business person who's telling me in no uncertain terms that I should let this go quickly before I just drown in it. And, uh, and I was devastated. I really was. That was the over, overwhelming feeling of the moment was, okay, well, that was cute, Esty. Clearly not going to be what you do right now. Why don't you get another 20, level, 20 years corporate level experience? But I was very lucky. I had support. My husband came in. He's like, why are you crying? Like what, you know, like as married couples will, or yeah. um, let, let's be more blunt, as husbands will when they randomly find their wives crying in a corner for no obvious reason whatsoever. <laughs> it's weird. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a female thing. I do it sometimes, occasionally. And uh, he's like, no, Esty, she's old business, you're new business. She doesn't know what she's talking about. She doesn't know you. She doesn't know what's going on. She's McKinsey. You're not trying to be McKinsey. You're trying to be Esty. 
And I'd never be where I was if it wasn't for his encouragement. Everyone with a dream needs someone to encourage them. Mm. Spouse, friend, coach, it doesn't matter. There are so many naysayers out there. There are so many people who will tell you you're a fool. You've got to have people in your corner telling you that you know what you're doing. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. And I find that the more people that do tell you positive things and, and kind of reinforce you and at times kind of give you constructive feedback as well. Hey, maybe do it this way instead of the way you're trying to do it there. You'll be maybe a bit more effective. But how do you stop yourself listening to all the naysayers, especially when they're, they're coming from like that position of power that the consultant was coming from and focus more on the positive? So I'll give you one of my absolute favorite quotes of all times. It's a Helen Keller quote, and it says, keep your face to the sunshine and you'll never see the shadows. There's always going to be shadows. It's, it's where you face yourself. And so you have to surround yourself with sunshine. You've got to combat like with like. So if someone super competent and powerful is a naysayer, go look for someone who you hold up as super competent and powerful to back you up. They're out there too. You'll find them. And it doesn't always cost money. There are so many free mentorship programs. Social media is actually a really cool place to get support, sometimes from big people, especially LinkedIn. I hang out on LinkedIn a lot. Um, there are Facebook groups where you can go. There are podcasts where you can listen to people who've successfully lived the dream you're trying to build that can encourage you. And those people are competent and powerful. You've got to focus on that sunshine, though. And you've got to look for it or the shadows will take you over. And then what happens is you wear those shadows like a cape. You surround yourself and you're like, no, no, this is what it is. And I, I'm proud to admit that it was a foolish idea and I'm not going to do it. And it's just false. It's just how you focus your energy. So you've got to find your sunshine. I'm a big believer in experts. You know, I took a business coach, even though what I do is business consulting. We build businesses. That is what we do from the ground up, from the middle to the great. This is what we do. And I'd never be where I was if I didn't have my own coach. I believe in it so strongly. But again, not everyone can afford it. It's not the right thing for everyone. Find your sunshine. Keep your face to it and you'll never see the shadows. Yeah, I like the I like the way that you look at it like that. And I love the quote as well, actually. And I think, I mean, we live in a fantastic time where you don't actually need to surround yourself all the time with people in person that you can listen to podcasts, you can use social media, you can jump on the internet and actually put all of this good stuff into your head, all this positive, this positive stuff and, and listen to people who have been there and done that and watch their stories and get positive messaging from them as well. So it's never been easier to actually focus on that, on that sunshine. So many people don't. Cause it's also never been easier to see the shadows. It's the two sides of the same coin for every positive feedback you'll get, you'll get negative feedback. The same idea you put out on your social channel will get people saying, great idea, go for it. And it'll get people saying, yeah, I tried that, total waste of money. And you'll always get that dual feedback. So it's very much a, a focus and there's so much, we're drowning in information. There's mm. so much information out there. Be filtering through it and what is right and what is wrong, it's tough. Mm. I think the social media algorithms are kind of beneficial for us once you start looking at good things. Like if all you're looking at is are the shadows, then they're going to feed you more of those. Totally. But it's, it's transitioning your mindset to look at the good things. But also once you start looking at that and interacting with that more, then 
it's a positive reinforcement. Old uh, Zuckerberg's doing reasonably well with with that, actually. And, and totally, it's, it's so been, true. It's, That's such a great practical application of the quote. It's so true. The algorithms are built to show you more of what you look at. Um, and that's how our brains are wired also. The more we focus on positive, the more we will see it. So I like, I'm a big believer when we do goal setting with our clients in incremental growth, right? Because fast growth is fast loss. It's just how it works, right? If I do weight loss and I lose 20 pounds in one week, you better believe it's not staying off. <laughs> Unless I'm like 450 pounds and that was like one for me, you know, which I'm not, guys. Okay, but if I was, but a, a regular person who's in a, a, an average weight range and needs to lose only 25 pounds to be a very healthy weight, if they lose 20 in a week, it's not staying off. It's not sustainable. So incremental growth. And so if you're trying to learn to focus on those positives, one small thing every day, right? And log it, have a journal, have it on your calendar, have an alert that buzzes and won't stop buzzing until you feed it information, whatever it is. And you decide what that positive is, whether it's a positive action, you're going to call someone who's supportive. You're going to look at a feed of things that are supporting your dream or people. You listen to a podcast. This one, mine, Business Breakthrough with Esther Rand, also a good choice. Um, Very good choice. And it doesn't have to be a long podcast. Very good choice. Thank you. Um, and Chris is on it. You can listen to his episode. It's a great one. And uh, Or it's just that you're going to sit with yourself for two minutes and say, and visualize the dream being a success. What does it look like? and start training your brain in those little moments. If you do this once a day, even if it's five minutes, I'm telling you, you see massive transformation in your life. If you do it for longer, faster, you'll see those transformations. But as you say, that it's a progressive increment. So if you try and sit there for half an hour, you might do that one day, but then things, things get in the way. So if you start with a couple of minutes, turn it into a habit. Um, I was talking to James Clare a couple of weeks ago, author of Atomic Habits, and he's, he's all about sort of starting with a minimal effective dose with it. Love so it. start with a minute. And then just build from there, turn it into a habit, and you're amazed at what comes from it. What I'm interested in, Esty, is obviously you've had this kind of this devastation, but also you mentioned that you'd always kind of seen these things, these businesses that you worked on as side projects as well. How did your mindset shift from, hey, this is a side project to actually this is, this is my full-time gig? So it was, like we just said, it was a slow process, actually, when I started trying to do it, um, partly because I was still shaken by that McKinsey consultant, and partly because, like I said, I'm a super risk-averse person, I did it as one of three things. I took a job at the Mobile Marketing Association doing sponsorship sales for their trade shows. I got a job at a business brokerage firm, also like a part-time, and I started doing my consulting on the side. And so I was doing all three and I basically said to myself, it's a side business. It's just another side business. I've got a job at the Mobile Marketing Association. It was a part-time, but you know, if I wanted, it could have grown to a full-time. So I had kind of had that security and uh, I had the business brokerage with, I thought, I realized I'm so not a broker. Brokerage is an entity where your efforts and rewards do not directly match at all. You could put five hours into something, pull out a million dollars. You could put 50 hours in something, pull out zero. I could not handle that. Right? So I did well. Like I sold some businesses, but I was like, I, I couldn't handle putting time and energy into something that went nowhere. It made me crazy. So that was the first thing to go when the business started taking off. And I started doing the business as a side hustle. And then it started getting bigger and people were reaching out. And I started getting busier. And so I first dropped the brokerage because uh, couldn't do it. And then I got even busier and I dropped the mobile marketing association. And it, it was almost like a by default. 
I won't say by accident, because it wasn't accidental, it was definitely intentional, but it was almost unexpected, even as it was desired. Like I, I had a dream, and it's funny to say, but I almost couldn't even dream how well it would go, if mm. that makes sense. Like, I had this vision, but at the same time, I totally had that uncertainty of like, okay, you know, this is a dream. I see it. I see what it's going to look like. I want it. I want it so badly. I want to do this with my time and energy. I want to give to people in this way. No one else is doing this. This is a need that has to be filled, and I had such a strong desire for it. And it didn't mean that I saw it clearly that it was going to really work in the way I needed it to, even as I saw what I wanted it to be. And then it, it did. It did. I think it took maybe six to eight months until I was doing it full time. Mm. And were there any other things other than kind of continually looking at the sunshine that helped you kind of keep the faith in that period where there was so much uncertainty? That's a good question. Let me, I want to give you a really good answer to your really good question. Looking back at previous accomplishments, because I actually had to build the company three times. I built it that first time. I was living in Jerusalem at the time. Then we moved to Los Angeles about four and a half years ago. I had to start all over again. I had clients international when I was in Jerusalem, but the problem is we moved. We moved with four children and we did not the place we were going to live didn't work out right away. And we were without internet, without connection. Like I couldn't work. It was, it was just, I couldn't work for almost three months during that whole moving process. And so clients that I'd had, I tried to close up projects before I left. I didn't take on anybody new. I didn't know what I was going into. I thought maybe I'll move to LA, maybe I'll get a job. Like I didn't know what we were going to do. And when I got here, I basically had like one client who's still, who's still been with me. And some people have come back since then, but I really only had one active client when I moved, because I closed my projects up, I said no to anything that was coming in. I said, listen, we'll be in touch in a few months. By the time I got back to them, some of them, ah, it was just a mess. It was an absolute mess. Some of them had moved on. Some of them said it was irrelevant. Like, it was a mess. And I started again. And then I started again about a year and a half ago because I had another child, number five, and I got really, really sick during the pregnancy. I was out of the office for almost six months. But at this time, I had staff. I had overheads. I had like a lot going on. Thank God we did not lose any money. We didn't earn that much profit, but we were able to stay stable. But when I came back, business was very quiet. My first day back at the office, when I was finally back post my self-imposed maternity leave, I had no meetings. I had nothing that I had to do. And I sat down at my desk in my office that had been very busy six months before. And I was like, I got to do it again. Got to do it again? <laughs> like I already did this twice. You're joking. And I did it again. And every time for me that it's been that discomfort, I look back and I say, but you know, Esther, you did it before. You did it once, you can do it again. And each time we have built it bigger and we've built it better, thank God. You've got to look back at your accomplishments at what you've been able to do at even the smallest successes, right? This is what I was able to do for that client. This is what I was able to do, client. This is what I was able to do with the entire company. This is what I was able to get. You know, when we had our first six-figure year, I was like, yeah, six-figure year? Whoa. You know, and now, thank God, we're, we're doing well. But you look back on that and you feel that sense of accomplishment of like, you know, when I started the company, six figures was like, whoa, out there. You know, I was just me. I had a dream of having an entire team, but I was just me. And I was bringing in other companies and freelancers and partnerships because I wanted this full service consulting offering for people. But 
let's be honest, I was a freelancer when I started, just like so many of my clients. That's who I was. And I had a vision for something bigger, but it wasn't there yet. And for me to envision like a six-figure profit, so you just, I looked back and I was like, okay, look how many things you've done that you never thought you'd be able to do. You know, and look, I've already built the business, so you'll do it again. Let's figure it out. And I'm a marketer, I'm a salesperson. So much of what we do with our clients is marketing, so much of what we teach is marketing. I've got this amazing interactive course coming up in February 1st of this year, 2019, that's all marketing, do-it-yourself marketing strategy. That's helped a lot. So I think that's the skill that's helped the most, but from an emotional place, it's definitely that, that focus on, on accomplishments when it seemed impossible, when I hadn't known how it was going to work or what was going to be, but look what turned out. Mm. And I think that's an awesome strategy to be using. I mean, I hear you're saying that you have looked back at previous business accomplishments that you have, you've done and been able to kind of build off the back of that. But I think what other people, what people can do as well is look at accomplishments in other areas of their life as well. Like if they're, if they're building a business, they can look and say, well, actually I go to the gym. And I never thought that I'd be able to do 10 chin-ups in a row or 10 pull-ups, but hey, I managed that. Or I never thought I'd be able to run a half marathon, but I've gone out and done that. Why can't I actually go and do something challenging in a different area of my life as well and, and utilize achievements and successes? And I mean, you're a mother to five kids as well. That's a pretty massive, that's probably more massive than owning a successful or running a successful business as well. They go hand in hand though, I'm sure. Well, yeah, they, they battle for first place on the bandwidth needs. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you see, I'm, I'm interested in actually marketing as well and why you see that as as most important because I think a lot of people when they start out in business they they think oh yeah I've got a cool idea I'll start doing it and then people are just going to come to me build it and they will come biggest fallacy out there guys okay sorry (laughs) it's just not true now there is truth in every lie right and that's kind of what what makes them stand because the lie was just hollow and empty there there'd be nothing in it right if i said to you listen dude the grass is pink you look at you and you're like no Esty, it's not but if i say the grass has a a pinkish tint at sunset there's truth in it and it stands and so the truth in building and they will come is if you build something that people really need and are looking for they will come they're just missing that part of the sentence and that's that is marketing marketing is this is my line It's the creation and communication of value of your product or service to your target audience to convince them to buy. It's a really long sentence. All of it's important. There are four key pieces, okay? Creation, communication, target, and convince. Marketing is how you create value for people. It's how you decide what you're offering, how you're offering it, understanding what people need, and making sure you're creating something that they want and also creating the understanding of what's valuable, you're communicating that value through marketing, right? So then we have our marketing channels. But marketing is so much more, people think marketing is advertising. I actually have a workshop called Beyond the Ad, right? And that takes you through an understanding that marketing is way beyond the ad. You'll think marketing is advertising, guys. Advertising is about uh, 7 to 12% of marketing. Like, I, I have a whole... Um, infographic diagram when I, when I teach it that explains where advertising has its place, but it's a very small portion. And that's why so many people will do advertising, whether it's a print ad or it's a billboard or it's a Facebook ad campaign or it's an email blast. Cause those are the things we see. So we're like, I'm going to do one of those. 
but that's only seven to twelve percent. If you haven't built the rest of it, it won't work. So I create value. I communicate it. Advertising is one way that I communicate in so many other ways. I communicate it to a target audience. I have to be selling it to someone, and people are like, "Yeah, everybody, anybody, whoever wants it." No. Okay, I need to have a defined, this is racial profiling at its best, okay? Whatever is illegal in government is legal in marketing. So this is, we, we like super identify our target. People call it the avatar. There's so many different customer profiles, a lot of names for it, but this is our audience. Who am I selling this to? What do they want from me? How will they pay for it? Where are they gonna find it? How do they wanna learn about it? What's it gonna be? What's the best way for them to consume it, et cetera? And now there are a whole bunch of businesses out there that do the first three. They will create value. They will communicate that value. They'll even communicate it to an audience, but they'll never convince them to buy. And so they have no sales. This is like when you see these branding ads, coming soon, the best eatery in the world. And you're like, okay. But then you never see like the follow-up campaign because you only got the magazine that one month. <laughs> I've, seen, I've seen businesses do this where they have like a series of ads and magazines that spread across issues. But if someone only got one issue or they skipped an issue, they're not following. <laughs> so they don't actually know. So you just spent $4,000, $2,000, $10,000 depending on the magazine for nothing. I've seen billboards that are grainy. I've seen, I've seen so many things. I've seen the good and the bad and the ugly. And if you don't have a proper sales funnel, if you do not know how to close deals, you can even get people on phone calls. You can meet them at networking events. And they're like, oh, I'd love to work with you. And you're like, yeah. And then like, you're too embarrassed to call. You lost their number. You called them, they didn't answer. You let, let it go. You've created communicate value to an audience. But you've never convinced them to buy. So marketing is all of those things. Sales is a function of marketing. My sales guy and I have a long-standing disagreement on this. He thinks marketing works for sales. I think sales works for marketing. And I said, and I'm right because you work for me. He has no answer. <laughs> good, good. So if, we, if you're thinking like the other 88 to 93% that is, <laughs> that is not advertising, what do you think about in that space? Okay, so I'll give you a model. This is the framework that I teach. I want to give you the, or just you understand the hardest thing about marketing today, in my opinion, is that no one knows what they don't know. This includes the business owners, and this includes the charlatans is not a nice word. Let's just say marketing helpers. There are so many marketing helpers out there. They will build your email funnel. They will do your core messaging. They will do your branding. They will do your graphics. They will do your funnels, and they will do your blasts, and they will do your PPC, and, they will, right? and they've got so many promises. And they don't know what they don't know. You don't know what you don't know, and you don't know what they don't know because you don't know what you don't know. And like that Friends episode, you know? And so I want to give you the framework just so you understand what there is to know. Yeah. So first of all, marketing and branding are different. That's level one that you need to understand. They interface, they feed each other, but they are not the same. Branding is who you are. It's what's unique about you. And we start from a place of core brand, which some people call core messaging. We call it core branding concept. There's all different words for these things, but the things are the same. And I want you to envision that that core is a seed. I plant that seed into the ground and that seed is the DNA of everything I'm going to do in my marketing and branding. But the brand is the seed. That's the identity. That's the core, right? And it has roots. And the roots, you know, we have terms like brand archetypes, and we have the pitch hook, and we have the USP, and we have vision and mission, and all of those things. Those are roots. Those are all extensions of the brand. It's about who you are, right? Why you're here, right? We talk about find your why. All of that falls into this category. Now, from that seed, up grows a stem into the center of the flower, and that's my target audience. My brand and my target are intimately connected, okay? If they disconnect, 
there's no more flower, there's no more marketing strategy. This is the framework for a full marketing strategy. And so I have my target in the middle, and then I've got six petals around my target. That's my marketing. So I want you to envision the flower faces the sunlight, it absorbs sunlight, it faces the world, that's marketing. And it feeds the seed, it pulls sunlight and feeds the seed, which in turn leads deeper roots, sucking up the water, feeding the flower. I really should learn more about botany, it might be more complex than this, but in my head, this is how I see it. And that's how marketing and branding feed each other. The stronger your brand gets, the deeper you dig your roots, the more it will influence the growth of your marketing. And the more your marketing is strong and resonant and reflective of your brand, of who you are and why you're here and who you're serving, the stronger it will build your brand. Most classic example, Nike. What does the swoosh mean? There is a representation to that meaning, right? So we have like leaves. Leaves are like my logo, my business name, my tagline, my coloring. That is like a little bit above ground, but it's just a reflection of the brand still that's not marketing yet. That's my, my uniqueness. There's that split in the middle of the stem. The marketing is the flower part that faces the sunlight. And so Nike, what makes that swish so meaningful? So if you read Shoe Dog, amazing book. He talks about Nike is the Greek goddess of accomplishment, I think, or achievement. And so there's a basis to the name. The swish is about movement. Someone scribbled it on a paper. But there are elements there that are representative of the brand, but it's meaningless until you start doing your marketing, right? And the marketing was not just all the billboards and the commercials. The marketing is the fact that they had sports sponsors. The marketing is how much the shoes cost. The marketing is where can you buy those shoes? The marketing is what do the shoes actually look like? How do they compare to other shoes in the marketplace? So those six petals, how you do them, right? We have positioning, we have product, place, price, promotion, and process, okay? Those six things are what make up a marketing strategy as reflective of a brand. And advertising is one little piece of the promotion pedal. We have a an internal document, it's 137 promotional strategies. We do it with our clients when we, when we develop it. It's a brainstorm guide. You know what, you guys can have it. Go to my website afterwards, you can have my guide. We give it out and it's a brainstorm guide, 137 strategies for promotion. Advertising is just a couple of them, right? There are seven categories in promotion, the way we teach it. So for example, networking, right? Which is part of direct selling, which is a category. That's a form of promotion. Deals, giveaways, that's a form of promotion. That's not advertising right? General social interaction, PR, all of these things are part of promotion. Promotion is everything I do to get my audience's attention. Advertising is just one little piece. So when we talk marketing strategy, we're talking all six petals as reflective of a properly developed core brand with roots and leaves and a whole flower. Mm. I like the analogy with that as well. That's, that's very cool. And thank, thank you, you for explaining it so eloquently. I've got a couple of other questions to ask you before we finish up. The first is, what was the last uncomfortable thing that you did and how did you get through it? Oh my gosh, I feel like I have one of these every day. Okay, let's, you know, here's a good one. This happens probably once a week, maybe once every two weeks. We have in our contract a 24-hour cancellation policy and a 10-minute lateness for client meetings. And I really strictly enforce that. Um, right now, we're really busy. So if someone cancels a meeting short notice or runs really late and it's an hourly billing, I'm really losing money. I could have put someone else there. And it's always hard when you have a personal relationship with your clients, when you're working one-on-one -on -one with people, and sometimes they're spending a lot of money with you. You don't want to feel like a penny pincher and you don't want to feel like a policeman. And when someone says, no, listen, this is not including emergencies. Someone has an emergency, of course right? And I got sick recently and I had to cancel a lot of things, some of them last minute. 
that happens. That's life. When someone's like, you know, I'm really busy and I think I want to meet with my staff person, you know, during our meeting, can we switch it? And it's like three hours before the answer is no, actually not unless you're going to pay. So how do we say that? How do we do that? So that's something uncomfortable that comes up pretty frequently. And I think for a lot of service professionals, things like this will come up. Or if a client runs late, he comes to the meeting 30 minutes late and he's like, I'm really sorry. Um, I miscalculated and I couldn't get off the call with the other guy and whatever. And I'm like, yeah, you know, I hear you. Still going to be billing you from the 10 minutes in as per our contract. You know, and I've had people say to me like, Esty, I don't know how you just say that, but it, like you just say it and it's okay. I don't know how you say it. And it does get more comfortable over time, but I do reinforce it, right? When someone asks to cancel last minute, I will say, I'm really sorry. You know, according to policy, you totally can cancel. It will be billed according to our agreement. You know, and so we have scripts for this. That's something that makes it a lot easier, right? You kind of have a, whether it's a verbal script or a written script for how you answer these things as they come up. And I do try to be a normal person. Like someone cancels 12 or 15 hours before. So it's not full 24, but I might be able to get someone into their slot. So I'll say, listen, we just had this last week. So listen, it's less than 24 hours before. I do have two different people waiting for a meeting. If they can take your slot on this notice, I won't charge you. And to me, that's what makes it so much easier and, and less uncomfortable because they know I'm normal, but they see I stick to my boundaries. You know, listen, this is policy. You'll have to be billed, but if I can replace you, I will. Did that answer the question? Yeah, it does. It does. Cool. <laughs> what's, what's the next uncomfortable thing that you're going to do? And why is that uncomfortable for you? What is the next uncomfortable thing I'm going to do? I don't know. There's probably so many on the list. Let's think. What is next? Do we, I, I don't know. Do I plan things that are uncomfortable? Hmm. I don't feel like I have anything planned that's uncomfortable. I feel like when things will come up, they'll, they'll get there. I don't know. I'm drawing a blank. What do I have planned that's uncomfortable? Nothing specific? Is that that's bad? A, that's not. Give me that's, an example. That's, that's okay. Like, what do people plan that's uncomfortable? Okay, skydiving. Skydiving. That's different. Yeah. That's just scary. Yeah. I mean, have you got uh, any potentially awkward meetings coming up or anything with the kids that you think, oh, that's not oh, going like to be that fun? Personally uncomfortable. Personally uncomfortable. Dentist work. I have dental work coming up that's extremely uncomfortable on so many levels and I've been avoiding it and I really should not be avoiding it. So that is high on my list of upcoming uncomfortable situations. Mm, yeah, I can see why. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, li I think dentists are amazing people, really, and they do such great work and I just would really not like to see them that often except socially. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Esty, do you have any other strategies that you use to approach uncomfortable situations? Bubble wrap. I use bubble wrap. Can you elaborate? Yeah, totally. So I built this back in the day when I was still living at home, which as I mentioned, not the most amazing warm place. And so there were, there were some tough situations and I chose to stay living at home into my early 20s because I had younger siblings and I wanted to be there for them, kind of like a buffer protector. I'm one of those big sister types. And... Uh, my strategy then, and I still use it now, is bubble wrap. I imagine wrapping myself in bubble wrap to, I know this might sound totally wacko, sorry, but kind of picturing bubble wrap. There's like a humor to it because it's kind of funny. Like bubble wrap is fun, but it's also protected and it's also kind of pilly, but it's clear. So I could see out of it. It was, it was very strategically thought through, like my choice of of wrapping. And so whenever I'm going in to do something difficult or I think will be emotionally painful or, or um, diminishing, 
I, I try to wrap myself in this kind of mental bubble wrap of insulation, if you will, where like the outside doesn't get inside. So I'm inside, I'm whole where I am, and whatever's going on outside of me is much more their issue than mine. Dental work is different because that's inside my mouth. Yeah, yeah, very true. I like that actually. I, I really, I've never heard anyone explain it like that before, but um, yeah. Thank you. It's the couple of other quick questions for you. I just want to say thank you so much for sharing some time with me today, but also thank you as well for, for being that ray of sunshine to a lot of people and, and helping them succeed. I really appreciate it. And I really appreciate listening to, to your podcast and you talk. So thank you so much for that. I'm blushing. Thank you. It's, it's my pleasure, really, because I think that's, that's what we're here for, to make mm. The world's a better place to make people's lives easier, better, happier, exactly. more accomplished. I feel the same way. If people want to find out more about you, want to work with you, want to take your, your course that's coming up, where can they go? How can they do that? Sure. So just go to sdrand.com. That's E-S-T-I-E-R-A-N-D.com. And you can check out the show. You'll see information about the upcoming course. And you'll also be able to download the 30, 137. We keep changing the number. It's at 137 now, but I recently added like another dozen. Um, but we're still working on the internal updates. So right now it's 137. Don't worry. Even if you download this one, you'll get the 152 update or whatever it comes up to as they're ready. So sdrand.com, and that's where you'll see the Business Breakthrough Podcast, Marketing Magic, and also totally happy to work with people one-on-one. -on -one. Really, really hard to lose. Like if you search me online, I am so hard to lose. <laughs> you will find me. Best place though, sdrand.com, S-T-I-E-R-A-N-D.com. Awesome. Final question for you, Esty. Do you have a challenge to leave us with today? Okay, so based on what we discussed, that's such a cool question, I like it. I think everybody, I wanna go back to that sunshine and shadows because I think it's so universally relevant. Everybody has challenges, everybody has pain in their lives, everybody comes from somewhere. And where you go is influenced by where you came from but not dependent on it at all. You have full choice and it just depends on where you focus. And so I wanna challenge everybody to bring five minutes of sunshine into their life every single day. Mm. How, whatever that means to you, whether it's receiving, whether it's giving, whether it's calling a friend and brightening up their day, whether it's visualizing your own future success, whether it's listening to something uplifting, whether it's writing down a goal or writing down a positive thing that's happened in your life or focusing on a good memory, whatever it means for you, five minutes of sunshine. Esty, thank you so much for getting uncomfortable with me today. Thank you so much for having me. It's been really a pleasure. There you have it team. I hope you enjoyed the chat with Esty and I today. Make sure to go and check her out if you're in business at all. Lots of great information there. Also, this episode brought to you by the Surmount Workshop, which is happening here in Wellington on the 26th of January. If you're stuck in any way, if you've got a challenge that you want to take on this year, but you're not sure how to start and how to get out of your comfort zone, we'll go through creating a plan, building momentum and stepping outside your comfort zone in terms of all the strategies. 
If you're just stuck and you don't have a challenge and you don't know where to go, that's okay. You can come along as well because one of the things that we'll work through is strategically identifying which direction to step out of your comfort zone. So we can we can strategically pick a challenge for you based on the most important things to you. So if you're stuck in a challenge or if you're stuck before a challenge, this workshop's for you. Grab tickets, www.surmountcourse.com, S-U-R-M-O-U-N-T, course.com. I would love to see you along there. Quick thanks to everyone that makes this episode possible. Thanks, Jailan, for your awesome editing skills, mate. Thanks to my brother, Jeremy Desmond, for the amazing theme music. Thank you all for tuning in and spending some time with SD and I. I hope you have a great week. Go out there, get uncomfortable, and we'll see you again this Friday. Bye.